This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now. So I'll play it for you. It's a... Called My Old Man. Solana. Pablo Angel takes it in his path brilliantly. Balls under real pressure here, and Angel passes it into the net. Resistance again from all the hands of Wanderers. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast, the uh, all-killer, no-filler Aston Villa podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com. Thank you for joining us. Joining me, Mr. Dan Rogers from the Villa Underground. Welcome back. Hello, hello, hello. Four shows on the trot. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I've got nothing else to do. No, no, no. I'm delighted to be here, not under duress. <laughs> and Mr. Chris Burt, who keeps the show going. Thank you very much for joining us again. You're welcome. How are you, gents? Any Anything novel ha- happening in your, your lockdown experiences? Well, I, I'm the, my adopted Claritin Blue team on the Faroe Islands did excellent at the weekend, David. What happened? Uh, I'm sure they Didn't couldn't they have scored, well, surely. Well, they were 5-0 down after half an hour. Um, Wasn't it 3-0 <laughs> in the first 10 minutes? Yes, yes, minor details. We've just detected that Chris Budd has been following this. Uh, yeah, this is great fun. <laughs> this sport. You, feel free to go to villaunderground.com, click on the ABR gear link. He's actually set up, I can't believe you set up like some kind of blog. For how many people? Three? Four? Um, well, that's, um, are you looking? So it's just me and Chris at this point, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and Christopher. Uh, Friend of oh, the show, our, our friend Christopher. We'll give him a shout out later on. Uh, we've, we've found some kind of Norwegian connection. There's actually more people following it online than at the ground. I think there's more people <laughs> following it online than live in the Faroe Islands. So, uh... <laughs> so double figures then. Just, 
<laughs> How are you, Mr. Bud? I'm very well. Became an uncle for the second time. Thank you very much. Well, yeah. and w- when are you going to have kids of your Fuck own? Fuck knows. <laughs> Fair enough. N- nothing happening in my universe, really. Uh, it's my birthday, and my mother sent me a slow cooker. Oh, so you've had a slow <laughs> a cooker present. and a shitload of beer today. I've done a bit of beef in it, and uh, it was uh, fantastic, actually. If you want the best tasting meat and probably veg uh, cooking it for eight ten hours in a slow cooker is it's another universe you've not eaten anything from a kiosk at villa park only then would you know true true cuisine (laughs) or the fortitude of your stomach (laughs) you have you have managed quite successfully i've noticed when editing the show to slip in villa dog in all of your appearances (laughs) he gets a fee well (laughs) <laughs> he's on commission you, you are sponsored like I'm, I'm sure of it <laughs> coming up in the show Villa are back in full contact training the women's team have got the promotion green light despite Graham Sunas's master plan will the ghost stadiums or behind closed doors formats actually suit Villa because uh, they have allegedly players that uh, tend to freeze or uh, suffer when there's a crowd uh, baying for their blood or putting pressure on. And in the overrated or underrated, our trio of villains are the mercurial Mustafa Hadji, Earl Barrett and Mr. Sasha Churchich. Right, first of all, we'll just blast into the Villa news. Full contact training was always happening and the season was happening as soon as we saw that uh, the news that uh, Sky Sports were unpausing their subscriptions. That was a clue. It was a bit like uh, in the American elections uh, when you're up at night seeing for early indications of whether Clinton was going to get in or Trump was going to get in. And you saw the uh, the Mexican peso drop like a lead balloon. Yeah, nose dived. Trump's got this. That was the first indication because the wall was coming up. So as soon as Sky was, we're talking about uh, unpausing, we knew it was up and running. And Villa are well into their competitive training at this stage. They've already uh, had a uh, kind of a competitive training exercise against the Baggies who brought... uh, two teams worth of players to Villa Park so Villa Park could actually road test Villa Park as a COVID ghost stadium as well as the players getting some minutes and uh, John McGinn I think got half an hour did he not? Yeah they played was it like three quarters of 30 minutes or something apparently it was it was kind of a bit of a strange setup how they did it. Yeah, I think they yeah they would just been a, a rotation of players, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean the scores, uh, you know, academic. I think it was two two. You know, doesn't mean jack though. At this time, it's just hard to get uh, proper preseason games in because uh, most of the lower league teams, like your Telfords, your Kidderminsters, are all uh, in their close season, so there's nobody around to actually play. But uh, there'll be games, obviously, as the uh, Premier League kicks off uh, on June the 17th, with Villa starting first, 6pm UK time uh, on that Wednesday night against Sheffield United. Just quickly, uh, they, they, I mean, it was it was only the initial fixtures that have been confirmed uh, at the time of the show. Uh, Sheffield United is followed swiftly by Chelsea at home also, then Newcastle, then Wolves at home also. So in those first four fixtures, we've got three home games. So uh, Mr. Bird, you would expect uh, they need to get some points from them. I mean, preferably we should win that Sheffield United game. Just, uh, I mean, if we get some points in these first four games, three at home, then if there is a second wave, then we'll be in a decent place to uh, stay in the league for next season. Yeah, I think you want to 
sort of take the stance that let's just get out the bottom three as fast as possible and then take it week by week because you just don't know as you said where you know where the line's going to be drawn again they're, they're bringing in five substitutes uh, I think they're also going to bring in you can make five substitutes but they're also going to have nine on the bench and Villa have been voting against this I think four teams voted against the idea of having nine subs on the bench and that's mainly because uh the bigger teams with the uh, estab- well, the established Premier League teams with bigger squads obviously have more depth to cope, cope for the fixture list, which comes in fast and furious. And Villa's, as we know, uh, when you look on that bench, there's not really much on it to uh, impact games. So uh, we're at potential weakness there for Villa. That's why I think these early games we've got to uh, get a, a decent haul of points. Yeah, just get a bit of momentum as well. Also, the women's league was uh, suspended. Villa were top 14 games 13 wins one draw six points clear of Sheffield United in second the only real debate was when Graham Souness said about mm-hmm. I mean the entitlement of it was incredible how uh, Liverpool women's team should stay in in the top tier of women's football it was it would be good for women's football if they want to get themselves on the map then Liverpool should be in there for the prestige just basically for marketing. Yeah, overlooking the fact that they're bottom. <laughs> because they've been getting pumped every week in front of one man and a dog. Yeah. Great. Hang on, this, is, this sounds like a league I need to see. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy for Sky to unpause my subscription immediately. <laughs> Chris, but what, what, what have you said? <laughs> It's a tsunami of filth. Oh my At the same me. time, you could argue that uh, Aston Villa actually started the Football League, so uh, <laughs> they really should stay in the Premier League, the men's team uh, we're talking about, because mm. it would be to the detriment of the league if, if they were relegated. Nobody I wants mean, to watch have Bournemouth. The, yeah, no, exactly. So, uh, you know, Souness's logic uh, should apply to Villa, uh, men's team. But what's happened is Liverpool have dropped. They're replaced by Villa. Happy days, uh, the women's team can actually kick on now with a bit more exposure in the top league uh, the only thing uh, else uh, related to the women's league uh, we, we actually didn't uh, mention last time was uh, any aluku's comments uh, about furloughing where she insinuated that i think it was it's just a reaction to a couple of uh, one or two tweets she saw where somebody was celebrating getting an extension mm. of furloughing and she was referring to that and if you do anything wrong you get completely lynched and uh, the internet attacked her mm. big time and all she all she was really um, guilty of was thinking out aloud on Twitter, which uh, is never never it's wise to do. It's, it's dangerous, and I think that for I mean, my view was that you don't touch those those topics on social yeah. media, do you? That especially you don't wade in with a blanket statement that uh, furlough is creating a culture of do nothing entitlement. Um, because you haven't got that space to have a proper debate, have you? And it's exactly yeah. that snapshot, you know, resulted in I think she had to put her profile as, as private, maybe or yeah, I think she's just that fuck this. Mm, so. mm. I mean, she you know apologised and everything, and uh, it's kind of funny how some people can do serious things, apologise like Grealish. Mm. Puts his video, apologise, and uh, the next day, you know, every Tom, Dick, and Harry said, "Oh, apologise. What more do you want him to say?" And it's like it's almost under, you know, brushed under the carpet. When she apologises, I don't know if it's because she's a woman, because she's black, 
that, that apparently it's not good enough to apologize it's, it's mm. kind of it's funny watching how it you know the dynamic of things and how they work for some people and not for others and it's not like she didn't share an opinion that's probably shared by quite a few people yeah and, and she was she was triggered by a certain tweet that she'd seen mm. and that's what she was and what she didn't really do is refine her tweet and it was as dan said that's it was more point. of a blanket mm. statement mm. yeah but you know she's a smart cookie and you you live and learn mm. right let's move on to the three points now point number one just quickly, for the first time, the Premier League have recorded zero cases in the last round of COVID tests. The Championship out of 1,179 tests only recorded two. So uh, there seems to be a bit of progress there, and it seems to be in, in line of what's happening in the rest of the country with uh, no reported tests in, I think, Scotland and Northern Ireland. Point number two, the Newcastle takeover, the Saudi sovereign wealth takeover, which we've mentioned before, uh, that they're looking for an 80% stake in the Toon Army, <laughs> uh, which seems to be uh, in, let's say, uncertain waters when the World Trade Organization has ruled that the Saudis are indeed behind the pirate satellite TV. <laughs> but they, they must listen to this podcast. We, we warned <laughs> them of this months ago. <laughs> <laughs> Streaming service. We, we did flag it and they have listened. <laughs> they haven't offered us the money. I mean... <laughs> Oh, I, yeah, I just—I mean, if the Saudis had trumped up a big sponsorship, and uh, <laughs> you know, you know, we could have taken hush money there, but you missed out on that opportunity. Mm. So we forwarded a file of the podcast onto the World Trade Organization, and hey presto, they created a 130-page report on the matter. <laughs> <laughs> they were thorough. I'll give them that. <laughs> Which will be, it will be published in mid-June. So this is an interesting situation because the Premier League, along with uh, FIFA, UEFA, La Liga and others, have tried to uh, take legal action against this uh, channel. Who is it? It's uh, Be Out Q? Be Out Q. Be Out Q. It's nothing to do with Andy Gray, is it? Is that another one? (laughs) He's running it from his bedroom. Oh, he's there in Qatar, aren't they? <laughs> yes, arch enemies of Saudi Arabia. Arch enemies, and they've been trying to, uh, well, understandably so, because they at least they pay for the rights of mm-hmm, the Premier League. Mm-hmm. So this has been happening in the background. They've been trying to sue these dudes. So uh, I wouldn't know anything about this, but if you were looking at uh, illegal streams and uh, ones came up in Arabic, it's probably this channel, is it not? Yeah, high yeah. possibility. Yeah, yeah. Not, so this is, uh, I mean, if there's one big stickler, I mean, the Premier League is fundamentally built on TV rights. So this is something they will take pretty seriously. But at the same time, because they like money, I think they can be persuaded. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't have total conviction that they would uh, stick to their guns and their principles and tell them to uh, get lost if uh, the Saudis gave them a sweetener, so to speak. But we will see. Uh, meanwhile, uh, I think we've just after the last podcast came out, uh, Mr. Bruce uh, was getting very excited and he said he'd love it to, uh, this takeover to happen and he'd love to be part of it and compete against the big boys. But what he failed to realise is I think uh, if somebody's going to spend that much money acquiring a football club, they'll probably bin him straight away. <laughs> well, the Saudis have got previous on that. Yeah, it won't be like uh, nice Aston Villa where they let him stay for a few months to try to prove himself. It will be an instant execution, I feel. <laughs> oh, 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 sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean it literally. <laughs> Would you like to come to the embassy, Mr. Bruce? <laughs> oh, Christ. Are we leaving that in? <laughs> in walks Steve Bruce, out walks. <laughs> what are all these sausages? <laughs> this will taste great mm. with cabbage. Oh, God. 
Right, point number three. Uh, we'll leave that in. Uh, this is why you listen to this show, I suppose. Point number three. Uh, if there's never another My Man Said show, uh, <laughs> you probably probably second guess why. We've taken the money and run. <laughs> no, we've all been bloody disappeared, more likely. Yeah, not money, Mr. Bud. It's cheaper to get rid of us. Hmm. Point number three is bit, uh, the FA of uh, they're in constant meetings in terms of how to uh, clean up the shit show that is. So they're creating a whole new area of controversy. I mean, I can't say too much because they're behind closed doors uh, conversations uh, that I've only just seen like kind of notes and, and whatever from. Uh, but they're definitely looking at a worst case scenario of there being no fans for the whole season. I mean, I've seen in some press talking about no fans up to November. and But I think it's wise to plan worst case scenario and say, right, next season, no fans. And uh, But then you, you, if you suddenly, you know, let's say the government restrictions free up even more and mm. there is the potential to have fans, does that suddenly compromise the uh, integrity of the competition if suddenly some people have been playing home games with no fans and then suddenly uh, other, other teams will have the benefit of having fans there well we, we, we shall mm-hmm. see mm-hmm. especially if you get regional lockdowns or regional variation on uh, social distancing relaxation yeah which is uh, a distinct possibility mm-hmm. just uh, keep the lockdown in uh, newcastle for the next four seasons <laughs> <laughs> so the saudis can't make any money <laughs> Uh, from gate receipts, anyway. Well, they, they, as I said, they won't make any money at Newcastle. And also, uh, it looks like there's going to be a change to the handball rule in terms of a goal will only be chalked off if the handball was immediately before it. So we're talking about if uh, you know if somebody's down the wing and he accidentally handballs it, and it's a few seconds before uh, the, an actual goal, then I don't think that's uh, going to be given. <laughs> Not sure about that one. But we don't know about that one. And then you've got the position of uh, what is handball. So I think the distinction is going to be, is it still? I, th- I think this is how it is now, is it not? It's where the shoulder end and ends and the arm starts, which is essentially the bottom of the armpit, which I think is something that's uh, in play at the moment, is it not? I forget the game. What was the game where Tyrone Mings got sent off for handball and it hit him on the on the angle of his shoulder would that yeah. would that that would not be handball that would not be handball uh, under the uh, definition of where the shoulder end and ends <laughs> and the arm starts at the bottom of the armpit but anyway that's that's yeah. this is a conversation i'm sure there'll be a conversation uh, for the future right before we go on i just want to give a big shout out to uh, the new my old man said patrons that have joined the club Thank you very much to uh, Adam Blair, Matthew Allen, Leo Bryan, Colin McKay, and Mickey McCarville. Thank you very much for joining up. And also uh, to George Jones and Harvey Farmer for upping their pledges as well. If you also want to uh, become a patron and get access to extra shows, at the moment uh, there's a uh, three-part serialization of uh, an interview I did with Sean Teal uh, once upon a time. Uh, Part one is already out now. No sitting on the fence with Mr. Teal. There's some uh, explosive stuff already. And he's a very funny guy. So it's it's good stuff that you don't get from, you know, today's players. Well, it's someone with a bit of personality what novelty and nothing to lose as well so uh, yeah check in for that but also uh, another benefit a new benefit probably the biggest benefit potentially uh, is uh, we have created something called match club unfortunately the first rule of match well, it's the second rule as well of match club is you can't really talk about match club uh, only patrons will know what match club is should we give them any clues or uh, uh one only one no maybe next ma- ne- next, next episode time. Yeah, next time. Okay, one clue is it's it's to do with uh, the remaining 10 games 
of the season and it hopefully will counteract the uh, non-event ghost stadium blandness we we shall see it's, uh, worth signing up just for that but uh, patrons uh, existing patrons i will be dropping you a line soon about match club and uh, more details of how to uh, get ready because we'll be you know running ad hoc tests uh, throughout the next week or so so uh, yeah please do if you want to be a my own man said patron and support the show also as well as getting extra shows and access to match club uh, go to my com and uh, check out the patron link and go from there if you're on a mobile device uh, you have to click on the menu uh, those three bars in the top left hand side and that will give you uh, access to a menu where patrons is an option oh yeah and by the way if you want to just support the show in a one-off way uh, Acast that hosts the podcast have now included an option for listeners where they can uh, make a donation to support the show there's actually a link in the notes uh, to support the show or go to acast.com stroke my old man said and you will uh, see it there it's just another option if you just wanted to do a one-off tip in pounds thanks every little helps at this stage right on to the main topic so there was an article that came out uh why empty grounds are the perfect stage for players that only do it in training and this is a a phenomenon that people have spoken about for years always remember alex ferguson referencing uh, players that he signed had to actually be able to play for Manchester United and play in a full Old Trafford and meet the expectation because some players haven't got the mentality to do that. So one of the My Old Man Said patrons, Gary Horgan, had a very good idea, very rightly mentioned this to me uh, via email. And the reason he brought this up to me was, of course, in relation to Dean Smith's comments after that 2-0 away defeat to Southampton. I think that was Villa's ninth loss in 13 games where we started to, to get a bit twitchy. And, and you know, he said after that game, will we get that performance again? I certainly hope not. Well, Leicester City. I got pumped, pumped <laughs> to use Chris Budd's terminology. <laughs> <laughs> the players will be fairly embarrassed when they drive home as well. There's too many training ground players. You have to perform on a match day. If you want to be a Premier League player, you have to perform week in, week out. Too many of ours didn't today. I mean, uh, I, I mentioned Leicester as a joke. I mean, you can put that down. If you want to make excuses, you can put that down to, you know, after the Lord Mayor's show at Wembley uh, in the League Cup final, you know, disappointment, players down and, you know, ripe for the picking. Also, if you pick a completely different system to the one that was successful against Leicester (laughs) in the previous (laughs) encounters when we did well against them uh, then you're asking for trouble if you pick the same kind of lineup as when you got pumped previously by you know four goals then uh, pretty predictable this athletic uh, article starts off with a quote from Luis Enrique saying uh, playing without fans is sadder than dancing with your sister (laughs) we're looking at the reverse of that where there actually could be benefits here because if we've got training ground players or too many training ground players the situation is empty stadiums are like a training ground so the upshot is Will this be an advantage, do you think? People have asked questions like this before on this to this podcast, saying, uh, does the negativity get to the younger players or the, the, the ones that have just signed? Does that work against us uh, when you know we perhaps aren't as patient with players as, as we should be? So this takes away all of that, and so the players can mm. just go out there and express themselves. Or, or would it run the risk of creating the, the, the sanitised training ground experience that you see with under-23 football? 
where it looks like football, but it's it lacks that. Um, players must, and uh, you know, there's enough there's enough biographies that say that they respond to the you know the running towards a whole ten that's baying for you to 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 play that cut you know cutting pass or run on. That's got to be part of it. For example, is that quote? Uh, I don't. Was, did Chris flag this uh, last couple of podcasts? I can't remember. Grealish says, you know, Anwar Ghazi in training mm. is sensational at finishing. Mm. Now. I mean, he was pretty good in the playoff final, and uh, you know he was a constant menace. But we've seen it. You know, he, he flitters uh, hot and cold. But here's Grealish saying this: is, "This man stands out. He's at another level in training." Well, El Ghazi's clearly technically very good. Um, I, I'm not sure if it's, he's a training ground player. I just think he's very, very inconsistent. That would be my observation of him. Are we talking about confidence players here? Yeah, this is what we're talking about because mm. Grealish is saying in training, he's he's his finishing is is unreal. Mm. So you're saying he's an inconsistent player, but what Grealish is saying in training, he's not. Yeah, but Grealish wears two flip flops on the side of the road. In <laughs> yeah, no, but seriously, uh, Dean Smith, he's saying the same thing. Have we got too many training ground players? And Douglas Louise does look like somebody who's probably amazing mm. in training. And when it peps up, and the, you know, you got the crowd on your back, you get the mm-hmm. ball. And he's expecting a lot more time than he actually gets because the the atmosphere is on top of him. You can see, I mean, he's top of the list of uh, Villa players that it would apply to, if you ask me. Chris, what what do you think about this uh, notion? Yeah, I mean, in terms of someone like an Algarve. Because Dan, Dan obviously doesn't get it. <laughs> no, I just don't believe in it. I just don't believe in it. I'm going to throw this in. I think I think that that was an excuse from Dean Smith when he said that, and I I, I think that's these guys are at the are the professional are the elite of their profession. I can see how like players' heads can drop, and you see with strikers and and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I I don't buy it. I think for me, I I disagree. But sorry, Chris, mm-hmm. uh, I buy some of it. I mean, I look at someone say to use the Algarzi example. You know, looks great in training, great finisher, blah, blah, blah. You think, well, hang on a minute. Who's he been playing against in professional matches? And who's he been training against in terms of the mm. back four? <laughs> it's like he's Excellent been, point. He's been training against one of the worst back fours in the league day in, day out. Yeah. So, of course, he's yeah. going to get opportunities to score. Yeah. Um, that would be my one point. <laughs> so, that's a point very well made. Um, <laughs> the other... Unfortunately, it it doesn't reflect well on Dean Smith at all to me because I think, well, okay, if you can get your players doing it on the training ground, the reason that they're not doing it on a match day is ultimately the book stops at you. You know, it's your responsibility. Is it a tactical thing? Maybe. Is it a man management thing? It could well be that. It will be the reality is it will be multiple factors. Certainly, the thing of when things start to go wrong, or especially in games, for example, if you had a game that you had to win. And we, when Villa don't show urgency, you know, you're getting this, you know, where Villa need to chase a game and they're kind of fucking around with the ball and just tick attack a nonsense. That's always been a bit of a problem, hasn't it? <laughs> got, got no, got no time for passing, hey, bud. Well, the, the, I think it's it's the lack of intent, isn't it? I mean, I, I I'll happily watch Villa play patient football and if there's in some yeah. intent, but it's the lack of intent that you see sometimes. To be honest, I think you've been a little bit harsh when you compare it to like the Lambert years, for example. Oh, and, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. And it's... McLeish, for example. I mean, mm. it's not... not no, as, no, I mean, no, you no, can't no. really accuse these guys that, you know, of that kind of level. But, but I just, of, in uh, terms of, that's what I mean, with the support, in terms of having the supporters, these are the, those are some of the things that get the supporters sort of riled up. Yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, if someone bottles a tackle... You know, right in front of the touchline, right in front of the whole end, for example, people are going to shout and scream. You know, if they're playing for an empty stadium, it's like, yeah, you, well, the interesting thing will be all of a sudden you'll be able to hear 
the communication of the players on the field. That's going to be an interesting thing for the broadcasters to have to censor out the sheer quantity of swearing. No, we'll all have our apps and we'll be we'll be shouting obscenities through, won't we? That's oh, of the, course, yeah. Through my cardboard cutout or, my or your LED sex doll. Fa- my LED face. <laughs> Borussia mentioned Gladbach just on a segue uh, so quickly. Had 13,000 uh, cardboard cutouts at 19 wow. euros each. And to wow. be honest, it looked actually good. Uh, I mean, I, I said on uh, social media, it wasn't even meant to be an intended pun, but I said <laughs> it looked better than it sounded. Yeah. The, 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 I was talking about the idea, but it actually worked yeah, as, the, a, the, as the a big joke. Thing, the big thing for me with the difference for an empty stadium versus having especially a home crowd is the, the the thing of momentum you know I, I remember for example like the previous season when we were 3-0 down to Sheffield United with what was it 10 minutes to play mm-hmm. the first one yeah. goes in and everyone's like yeah whatever the second one goes in and all of a sudden yeah that's it's a good point everyone as well. yeah. You, you, yeah. all of a sudden the, the, the atmosphere changes you know 3-1 yeah. everyone's like oh, okay maybe we'll give it a go at 3-2 everyone's like right how long's left Right, game on, and then the board goes. I think they're, they're, up, you're and, talking and about those galvanising moments, yeah, aren't they? And as it's, well, and it's the th- yeah, and it's these little moments. I mean, I've I've said this numerous times, and I don't know why it comes why it does come to mind. But I remember like that first year we got relegated, and we had that appalling derby against Blues. Gabby got subbed on, and all of a sudden, the, mm-hmm. and the crowd were like, "Oh, hang on a minute!" And I remember the first five minutes, he smashed a Blues player into the stand, yeah. and everyone was like, yeah, yeah. and everyone just lifted. It was like a dreadful tackle. <laughs> Has all of a sudden changed the context of this game. The same mm. as you know, you see like um, I, you saw it on numerous occasions before when you'd get like um, Villa would be floundering in possession. McGinn would just pick the ball up and drive, and all of a sudden the crowd are lifted. And that I think that does make a difference. That's that thing. If you can gain momentum, you can also lose momentum. But that's that's talking about the impact of the crowds uh, per se. We're we're talking about training ground players so you could say that uh, we wouldn't need the uh, the kind of inspiration of the crowd because we'll all already be three nil up because we have these incredible <laughs> training ground players <laughs> maybe hmm. i just i just think in, I mean, an, we, in an empty McGinn, stadium i think mcginn yeah. M- mcginn surely uh, is a better player with a crowd i'd say Grealish responds to the occasion and he prefer- he responds well to pressure well it's it's the it's the uh, performance aspect for him i think with all those those type of players they want to I hate to use the word express themselves, but you know what I mean. It's the well, you saw that with the Blues derby last season at St Andrews, didn't you? That there was that that crazy moment where that fan gets on the pitch, and after that, to keep to, to be composed and to to score the goal that he did, I think that you know I'm not saying that that that, that moment with the fan was was what caused that, but there, there is something in it. I, I think that you take away that fan input. And that's that's a big part of the atmosphere and the motivation and the the words intensity, isn't it? It's the lack of intensity. I was about to say, I think, and I don't know if they can monitor this. Maybe they, well, they can because they they monitor how many miles players run, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, every game. But I think players will run faster with a crowd there it, mm, it, as yeah. Chris said it's more intense so I think that favours players like Al Ghazi and Louise because it's not as intense it's not in your face now Louise if a game's not in your face as much then I think he's suddenly he's got that time and suddenly becomes a much more mm. dangerous player the big thing that very few of and I haven't even seen the press talk about this and it's literally just popped into my mind so I'm I am relatively thinking out loud but one advantage that those players that you've mentioned will have over 
both our players and a lot of other ones, and some clubs will have guys in the same boat, is that El Ghazi, El Mohamedi, Trezeguet are all from North African nations who are used to the heat. You know, they're going to be playing games in June and July. You know, the likes of John McGinn is not used to it above about 10 He's not 10 seen degrees. the sun, has he? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and these are guys, very few in our squad will have played, you know, elite level tournament football, which is in the summer. So they won't be used to the, the sort of the shifting dynamics in how the game works and that someone like a McGinn in, you know, a 25, 30 degree heat cannot play the way he wants to play because he'll just be knackered after the first mm-hmm. half. You know, reserve, the guys will be used to the heat. You know, someone like a Louise who was used to heat and humidity in South America, he's played in Spain in the heat, you know, Al Ghazi. Uh, how hot does it get in this country? It makes a difference, though. You know, 16 it, degrees. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to this summer. Yeah, well, you know, you look at you know, the last you know, the, the last time they, you know, the, for example, the last game I, game I went to at Wembley, I had multiple layers on, and it was sub-10 degrees, I'm sure, at least. All of a sudden, you know, you're into sort of pre-season friendly temperatures, and you've you've seen the... The lack of intensity. Oh, we've all tempo. been there at the best cuts, sweltering, yeah. <laughs> wishing we, wishing we weren't there. It always seems like a good idea when you buy the ticket. And for a split second, when you close your eyes, you think, "Oh, I'm on Bondi Beach," and then you open your eyes and realise you're on an industrial oh, estate in Beskar. Delicious Warsaw worst. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> if you can even get to the uh, the one food stand in the corner. But you get my point that I think that the, the heat will have a huge impact as another factor in pulling the intensity down. These games are going to be shit games of football. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. I think they will, especially any... Cause I God, think, he's a killjoy, this Chris Budd, isn't he? And I'll tell you <laughs> why, because... Because of the situation we find don't, ourselves don't in. Don't pause your Sky subscription. Just cancel them. I don't, I don't them. have one. I never bothered. <laughs> Neither do I. Neither do paying. I. I watch Saudi Arabian pirate TV. <laughs> um, <laughs> I look at some of the teams and their situations, for example, like I'll use Liverpool. They've, I think they're, they're two games away, two wins away from securing the league. They could get those two wins and, and Klopp could take the stance of, well, we're not going to get to defend the Champions League, so that's gone. Like, this is this is what we're playing for is the next two games. They put all their eggs in the in one basket for those two games. Then when they've actually achieved it, he's thinking, well, do you know what? This isn't worth any taking any risks. I'm not going to force you to play. I think, yeah, you're going to get situations where players will say, uh, uh, Gaffer's all right yeah, if I step down. down. Mm-hmm. Just down tools. And that will go with mid-table teams. So, I mean, this, this uh, I'm just going to say one more thing on this training ground player thing. I mean, I don't play FIFA or any of that stuff, but, I mean, come on, FIFA 2021 or 2022, if you could insert, this is sorry, this is a shout out to uh, the, the developers of FIFA, if you could insert EA a training Sports ground. in the game. If you could in, introduce a training ground player rating, so we actually know, uh, you know, if they're going to be any good as training ground players in in these uh, fanless stadiums, that would be much appreciated. Henry Lansbury, one hundred. Oh, he's <laughs> oh, he definitely is. If the first game we're playing, Henry Lansbury is suddenly the captain, and it, well, he's in the team and the captain, then you're going to realise that oh, there is something to do with this uh, training ground player. Mm-hmm. Let's let's just branch this off into uh, advantages in general. General, uh, for what is essentially a reset of this, of you know, it's starting again. Smith said, you know, Villa would always be good, you know, better in his second season, and he's trying to make out that this is like uh, akin to a, a second season. Uh, and I can see some uh, logic in that because uh, you know they're starting with no momentum, and you you know you're starting afresh again, and you know what it is like at the start of a season. It's uh, it's open house a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. 
But as as Chris was saying there, certain teams, when they've achieved their objectives, will slack off, as as they always do. But in this case, because of this the cloud of COVID, they they can say, well, can I not play? Uh, you know, we've we've done the job. We're in Europe. We've escaped. You know, we're mid table, or we you know we won the league. So Villa Villa have got a motivation. They've got a reason to play these games. So in terms of the factor of in terms of advantage of motivation, and we've flagged so many times those you know miracle relegation. Uh, escapes because those teams have an objective and when you're playing against teams that not only are uh, what's the catchphrase on the beach already you know they've, they've gone back into isolation this this is a major advantage for Villa I think McGinn will be biting at the bit coming back it's, it's almost like he's born again because he thought uh, you know he'd have played because he wouldn't have played uh, probably half of the games that he's going to play now because mm-hmm. he wouldn't have been totally match fit yeah that's true John McGinn is another advantage, but I think from a standing still start, and Villa have actually got a mission, I wouldn't be surprised, I'm not saying it's going to happen, that we actually do pretty well in those games. Mm. I just want to be optimistic for one minute. <laughs> now that there are a few... Um, I have various... Now here he comes again. Yeah. Here he comes. It's, it's like the fucking... Uh, Bang is prophet of doom. Boom, boom. Not at all, actually. I'm the prophet of... Uh... <laughs> B-52 bombing squad alert. Here they come. It's going to be napalm. Um... <laughs> One thing is that Dean Smith probably in his management career, certainly in his time at Villa, will have he won't have ever had this much time to take stock tactically because he will be very aware that both him and his team have made mistakes. And you'd like to think he'll have identified them. Now, whether he's learnt from them, that's going to be to be decided. Oh, this is Aston Villa. We'll make a whole new load yeah. of new mistakes. Yeah, we'll find a way. <laughs> the other one will be the sort of... The intensity that the players potentially, as you said, are at, because some teams might not be at it and some will. You know, you look at our fixtures and it makes me glad that actually we don't have lots of games against the teams around us because they're the ones yeah. who are going to be fighting. Because once mm. Liverpool have won the league, I think Man City are virtually mathematically there as well. Yeah. We've already played Leicester. They're going to be fighting. The tough ones become sort of United. You know, anyone who's just close to top four, Mm-hmm. But other games, you know, you're looking at sort of Sheffield United. Well, if you know, if Man U have a good run, Chelsea have a good run, Wolves, they're all better sides than Sheffield. And I think of all the teams in the league, I think when we didn't know how long the break this you know this period was going to last, but a break in the season couldn't have suited a much better time because we were free falling. Yeah, um, you know, it, it wasn't like we'd sort of. No, you take, sort of take the cup final out of the equation, but it wasn't like we'd had a little mini upturn. You think, oh, do you know what? We're, we're looking all right here. You know, we'd actually, we'd finally dropped into the bottom three. Because I mentioned even at that point of Southampton, when the, the training ground players quote came out, we'd lost nine out of 13 games and mm-hmm. they didn't really improve much on that. As I've, as I've said uh, a few times, we... We have, though, within the season already demonstrated a, a good spectrum of ability. It, well, yeah. it, and the good bit is we've been up there in against good teams, but we haven't had the courage of our convictions at times. Uh, Arsenal, Liverpool, for example. Mm. And other times it's just been mistakes, uh, like the first game against Spurs and then numerous other games. Bournemouth sticks in my mind. At Bournemouth, the bad one. Burnley, mm. very naive. We let yeah. them come back into it. The lack of not, not beating it. West Ham was really one that grated mm. on me. The West Ham home game where we Cl- played yeah, 10, you know, 10 men yeah. games. Yeah. Mm. Clueless against 10 men. But we have had 
we have demonstrated because you know people have been um, slagging off the squad, and as you got to remember, there's a lot of young guys in there who mm. were bought for their potential as much of what they could do in their first season. Now, of course, there's the argument, and it's a very valid argument that we should have bought at least two more mm. experienced uh, out of the box Premier League players. There's no doubt about that. But is you know this they'd have had, they also like Dean Smith would have had a chance to take stock and learn, and it would be like a mini first season, and they're only going to get better in a second season. So with that long break, and footballers don't have breaks this long, there is a hope that they can gravitate to the the good end of that spectrum of ability that they've actually shown and uh, produce the good. But I mean, essentially, all they have to do is cut out stupid mistakes, and uh, they should be all right. Yeah, I actually think the the experience argument. It kind of helps Villa in a way because this period we're in, there isn't a footballer in the world who's experienced this. We are playing matches in uncharted territory. So it's kind of like everyone's, you know, there'll be very few players who've had this short a break. So we're at the point where actually they'll be quite sort of, not lethargic, but they're, they won't be match fit, will they? No, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and the thing that, well, very few of these players will be used to playing a game completely behind closed doors regularly. Now, some of the Champions League players might have experienced it on a one-off occasion, but to play big games, like you know, really important matches without the crowd... Will be well, like, multiple games yeah, as well. Yeah, you know, and, they're going to face that's the prospect of it returning yeah. to, as it was, is slow. Yeah. Does this play into the hands of teams like Bournemouth, who have been playing in front of hardly any crowds anyway, <laughs> at home anyway? So. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I mean, this. I think the, another key thing, and I don't know how you quantify this, is to how do you get players mentally prepared? And is there an advantage to be gained by that somehow? But I mean, I don't know how you quantify that uh, because obviously we are in uncharted waters. It's the guys who can laser focus and sort of just go, we're just going to play our game. You know, it's that cliche. You you play the the, the opposition rather than the occasion, which is probably easier in an empty stadium because the crowd factor just doesn't come into it for anyone. So whether that's a leveller for some teams and isn't for others, you know, like places like St. James's Park, you know, notoriously, if you get the crowd quiet in the first 20 minutes, it becomes an easy ground to play at. If the crowd get on top of you quickly, it becomes a hard ground to play at. I think Villa Park's quite similar. Yeah, it's interestingly, it takes you back to when you were playing, uh, you Sunday know, school, league. Sunday league 
games uh, where there is that intensity still. And I think it brings you closer together as a group of players. So hopefully they're all buddies and uh, they get on because that will be a big thing because it does. Uh, all you can hear is your teammates at the end of the day because, mm. you know, it's and back in those days, you know, playing as a kid, is, you know, you maybe you got a parent standing on the sidelines, there's a dog there and uh, that's it. It's You are laser focused in the game. There's no real distractions. It's just your teammates, really. And, and I, absolutely. And I think Smith and the players will know that they have to turn up for ten games. He's not. It's, it's it is a ten game season now. We're not talking about thirty eight games and oh, we've got to sustain this level for the next you know eight to ten months. This is Smith will probably say, "I need six weeks of good work out of you here." As long as nobody says, "Oh, it's ten FA Cup finals." <laughs> I can't stand that cliche. Right, moving on. Let's move on. Let's move on to underrated or overrated. Right, uh, this is the part of the show where we take a trio of ex-Villa players from the borderline of those two definitions to uh, eccentric characters that uh, just because we uh, have some fondness for them, we might give them a bit of love. Right, for the, f- the first one up this uh, episode, uh, I think I dropped his name in the last show, Mustafa Hadji. All I can remember about him is, uh, was it the 98 World Cup? Where he, that Moroccan team was 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 dynamite. as North African teams tend to be a very, very tidy. And if you've got a couple of uh, top draw men, sometimes uh, like Egypt's, your Algeria's, your your Morocco's, very, very tasty going forward. Not so uh, great in defence, but when they've got a couple of star players and they did uh, have a, a, their talisman was uh, Hadji in that 98 World Cup. And uh, the first game against Norway, he, he scored. It's a lovely pass from Jaha and plenty of space here for Hadji. Oh, great goal for Morocco. Dan Egan came across, but the slight of foot from Hadji beat him and then the shot sped past Grodas. And Norway was shocked because, you know, it's, it's typical European uh, superiority complex. You always look at African teams as uh, cannon fodder. Mm, mm. But in recent tournaments, obviously, they've got better and better and better. Although uh, after, I think it's Cameroon and Nigeria, the Super Eagles had a decent team like in the 90s. You expected somebody to really, I think Ghana did well though, didn't they? Uh, is it in South Africa World Cup? Yeah, and Ivory Coast have got better. But as they've well. never really stamped their authority and got into a final yet. Uh, but anyway, we're, we're, we digress. Uh, but had you lit, lit up that tournament uh, in the last game, they beat Scotland 3-0. But all they had to do is beat Scotland. They did it. And it was like, because Norway had to play Brazil. And with seven minutes to go, Brazil 1-0 up. It's like, you know, this is like business as usual. And somehow Norway scored two goals in the last seven minutes and uh, beat Brazil and pipped uh, Morocco into the next round. And because of that World Cup, uh, had she, you know, typical process, uh, players have a good World Cup, get they get picked up uh, by Premier League teams, had she? Did he go straight to Coventry? He was at um, Deportivo. I think he went the year after, so he would have had, maybe had another year in Spain, and then he went to Coventry in '99. But he was a bit player in Deportivo. I mean, he wasn't like a, a super regular. No. But I like, I just like Hadji from the uh, the World Cup. So uh, mm. when he had a you know de- reasonably decent time at Coventry, I think he was there for a couple of seasons. Villa picked him up under John Gregory, and he thought. I think you just thought is it a bit a bit extra for the squad here, a mm. bit of a uh, bit of a potential diamond for us. But I mean, what what were your have you got any memories of uh, Mr. Hadji? One of my favourite ones is actually um, 
of one of my more favourite Villa games, actually, was the um, the last game of the season when he scored an absolute worldie at the Holt end and scored a header, and he put Coventry 2-0 up at half-time. And, you know, that, that was the game when they had to win to stay up. And then, of course, <laughs> Merson scored that last-minute wonder goal to put them down. I think that was his last game um, for Coventry. Yeah, because he was... first goal yeah. for Villa as well, that game. Because yeah. I think he was... Uh, there was a bit of controversy before that game because I think Morocco were trying to get him out of there uh, what year was that it must have been for a, uh, another world cup 2001 i think it was it might have been for like an african nations or mm-hmm. something but i know there was they were trying to get him out but coventry were fighting because they needed him for that game mm. because they had to win it at, you know to have any chance of staying up he only scored two goals for villa i remember them both david he scored one a, a, a header at southampton that's in his it, first yeah. season. What was the score? And we that? won that one three-one. Uh, another rare goal scorer was George Boateng that night. Um, wow, it was the NTL shirt? Yeah, the mm. the pink NTL shirt. Mm. And um, and the, weirdly, the other one from what I remember, I th- I'm sure he scored in the UEFA Cup when we got knocked out by NK Vartex. He did. He did. And it was a great goal. There's a rule of thumb when you buy. Uh, Let's say a continental player, or they used to be when you know when uh, it wasn't so uh, common. Was it was always better to buy them in twos because it helps them settle down. And we obviously got Hassan Cashlow as well, <laughs> another legend. Yes, but he had his moments, did he not? Well, he was another I tidy sort of... player, wasn't he? But they'd both come from poor sides, and where Villa were aspiring to be was not where Southampton yeah. and Coventry, with all due respect to them, were. I think a player like Hadji now, I mean, he was he was African Player of the Year as well, if yeah. memory serves yeah. me right. If a player like Hadji now, he, he, with the greatest respect to Coventry City and their equivalents today, he, he doesn't go, that's not the move that he makes. I think that... Yeah. He, well, you know, a, when, you, when you got that kind of hairstyle, though, you know, you've got to get what you can get. <laughs> There's stylists, we can work on that. But I think I think he had supreme amount of talent. There's there's one other thing I do remember, and I don't know whether this is folklore or not. But he he got to the end of his Villa career, and he was on something like forty nine games, and it was at a time when when we were stuttering in the league, and I don't think he ever made that appearance because it would have triggered uh, a payment to Coventry for. Uh, I remember this, yeah. And I just remember looking at the team sheet one day, um, and and seeing that we'd opted to pick Oyvind Leonardson instead of Hadji, and thinking, ah, yes, something. It's truly a miss in the world at the moment. Uh, my memory is well, it's this. I think this goes back to the '98 World Cup when Norway conned their way in match fixing. It's always past, the Norwegians. Mm, in exactly. my experience, actually, he's <laughs> got some bad, bad memories of Norway. I don't think he ever visited there on holiday. <laughs> Who can blame him? No. So, what we're saying: underrated or overrated? Oh yeah, forget about the uh, premise of this uh, section. He's one of these players that. In my heart, I wanted him to be great. Mm. And I've got to say, uh, overrated. He could only play well against Norway, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) And against Villa. And against Villa, yeah. I'd go overrated just for the fact that, like so many players, we bought him off the back of one half-decent season. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And for me, that would be the same. He he was overrated. Right, let's go to uh, the second one, Mr. Earl Barrett. Now, Mr. Earl Barrett, and I, I mean, I was thinking about him uh, earlier on uh, when I was listening to this uh, Sean Teal interview that, that I did, and we were talking about Earl Barrett. And I think I mentioned on the show before that there was back in those Ron Atkinson days, there was uh, one player that I really wanted, 
if I could have anybody on my top of my list was uh, Dean Saunders and suddenly Villa bought him and it was like, wow. And also, uh, I remember watching uh, Oldham versus Manchester United in the FA Cup semi-final. It's probably the best day of uh, neutral football ever was when there was back-to-back semi-finals. 3-3 Manchester United and Oldham and 4-3 Palace uh, win over Liverpool. And... Earl Barrett was immense. He, he just marked Mark Hughes out of the game. I don't think any of their forwards scored that day, even though they scored three goals. And uh, he, he was incredible, this Earl Barrett. And I thought, you know, if we ever got, you know, if we get Earl Barrett, it'd be great. And, and we did. I actually, he scored the opening goal in uh, that uh, 3-3 game. He didn't score many goals for Villa, though, did he, uh, no. old Earl? And uh, so you're thinking about Earl Barrett at centre-back, but you've got this situation where you've got Teal and McGrath, and you're thinking... Is this filler like stockpiling, you know, the best talent? Because I was thinking, this is great. You know, mm-hmm. we've got Teal, McGrath, and uh, an Earl Barrett now. But then you think, hey, how's Earl going to get a game if uh, the preferred combo is uh, Teal and McGrath? And then suddenly Earl Barrett is playing right back. And at times he didn't, he wasn't the most graceful right backs. And we were in that situation in the 90s uh, and, and through to the early noughties where we never had a proper right back, you know. Most of the time, it was a centre-back playing right Some would back. say never, David. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you go Qualis Quayle, you go Aleph Melberg. Uh, Earl Barrett was like the, this first uh, of the generation of centre-backs playing in it. It's, it's all right when you're defending corners because yeah. you've got an extra big man, you know, extra centre-back in essence. But once he's over the halfway line, then that's where the problem uh, kicks in. It's classic Villa, isn't it? Seeing a player quality in a player's quality in their position. And, you know, it was a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about Rio Coca that we bought a box to box, exciting English midfielder and turned him into a right back conveniently. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I remember that time because that was like, all right, this centre back at right back's not working. What about Rio Coca? Now, this could be... (laughs) <laughs> we refuse to buy a right back. May, you know, maybe the ch- changing Rio Coca into one will be the solution. But uh, I mean, testament to Will Barrett, uh, this was not his uh, chosen position. Yet he managed to get into the England squad uh, mm. as a right back. I don't know if that says uh, more about the state of English football at the time or uh, mm. or what. Mm. I mean, the fact that he had Tony Dorigo and Lee Dixon ahead of him in the pecking order would suggest that not exactly England's greatest era was it was this was the uh, do I not like that Graham Taylor mm, era Carlton Palmer territory yeah, I mean he, Dixon, you know, Dixon was a very was, good professional he was player. part of the in, you know Invincibles and a good Arsenal team so I think Earl Barrett was very much like so many at that time was the a player of that era in terms of you know you look at what a fullback is or has to be now you know they're normally incredibly dynamic they're probably two of the fittest players on the field they have to be an attacking threat. His strength was, and what got him through uh, being out of position, essentially, was he was so athletic. Yeah. Mm. And speaking to Sean Teal about it, he's, I mean, he said originally, uh, because of Paul McGrath's knees, they, they still needed, whoever partnered McGrath, they needed a centre-back who would attack the ball because, you know, McGrath's more of a reader. He's not diving in and his you know, knees are fucked. So that's why Teal essentially got the nod because Barrett was a bit more, let's say, of a McGrath figure, but and you know, very good in recovery and had the athleticism. But he made an interesting point. He said when uh, Aston Villa played Arsenal, Ron Atkinson would always play Earl Barrett 
a centre-back to man-mark Ian Wright, and he followed Ian Wright everywhere. And he, he said, you know, if Ian Wright was selected at left-back for Arsenal, Earl Barrett would be playing right wing, essentially, because he, he was just told to follow Ian Wright everywhere. And that was the switch they made, and, and Teal would go to left-back, and there'd be this kind of shift around, and Earl Barrett would uh, be alongside McGraw in the, uh, in the you know, centre-back position, uh, man-mark and Ian Wright because he had the speed and athleticism. And uh, as Teal said, Ian Wright hardly got a kick of the ball when he uh, played against Earl Barrett. No. This is something that was frustrating because I thought, well, surely... But sometimes when he played centre-back, he didn't have his greatest game if there was an injury or something. But I was always frustrated because that ingrained on me watching him against Manchester United in those games. And I just thought if he was, uh, you know, alongside McGrath, would be dynamic. But obviously you're taking away Sean Teal there. I mean, I remember the... Um... The 94 Cup final, you know, he did come up against, at the time, you know, Dennis Irwin, who was probably one of the top fullbacks in England at that point, and, of course, a young Ryan Giggs. Yeah. Um, and he had a superb game. Yeah, anyway, and I think, yeah. he, I think he was ever-present the first that first Premier League season when he scored his solitary goal, which was actually a really tasty lob against Everton. Yeah. Um, you know, he wasn't that sort of, you know, your Trent Alexander-Arnold type right back you know he was going to bomb on get to the byline whip across in or have it distribute but he was more of a it was in the era of flat back fours of you know you'd have four solid defensive players it just so happened that we actually would have Steve Staunton at left back who could yeah. get forward and was a goal threat and had an unbelievable shot on him mm-hmm. I'd imagine Staunton that's, that's was a, a relative comparison. anomaly mm-hmm. but Earl Barrett wasn't you know he was more of a I'll, I'll do the I'll take their left winger out of the game as opposed to oh, I'm going to pin their fullback. I mean, he was a centre back essentially. So yeah. defensively, I mean, he defensively was very good. It was almost like you had to play him because he was a, a player so good that he was better than whatever right back you had, so to speak. Yeah. That it was worth putting in his place mm. defensively. It, you, you got so much from it that uh, it was worth. I, don't, I forgot who were the right back equivalent. Uh, what I mean, you had like Neil Cox who would play there. <laughs> And you know, really, there's, there's no no yeah. no argument, is there? <laughs> nah. The Earl of Barrett. Uh, how how are we uh, rating him? I'm going to say Earl Barrett was underrated. Yeah, I'm going to say underrated because he was actually not playing in his uh, main position, and uh, he did a decent job playing out of position, essentially, and he made that his position. Mm. Yeah, mm. I'm going to say very unfashionably underrated. He just went about his work, didn't he? It's that cliche, did a job. Well, to round off my view, I'd say that what you were talking about, you know, you mentioned Dennis Irwin, and I think I was just thinking of of other fullbacks of that era. And and this is the back end of um, uh, the 80s into the early 90s of, like you said, the Irwins, the Paul Parkers. Um, you know, I'm just thinking of some of the other teams that you know, Dixon, Dixon. They, they were good at their Winterburn, good at their jobs. Yeah, Winterburn, you know, Stick pla- Bjorn a bit, Liverpool players like that. But I'm thinking that he was, and the clue is that Ron Atkinson would put him up against Ian Wright, who was like pace, power, everything. I, I think he was more of a modern day centre back who would have been better off in today's game than then in terms of being athletic and being able to deal with these like faster centre forwards. As we've gone on, we've got a increasingly away from that standard uh you know big number nine kind of routine mm. where you needed your sean teals etc mm-hmm. so i think barrett would would be a better uh center back in today's uh 
game as 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 opposed to then even though uh that was the thing he didn't he didn't really get his chance at villa to uh, play his natural position anyway so underrated the earl of barrett right let's go on to some anomaly uh this time uh, this 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 was a hyped hyped signing for villa i remember at the time I was so happy to sign this man. This this man was going to take us to the promised land. This this man was going to give us the fourth dimension. <laughs> Sasha Churchich. Wow, four what? million English pounds on on a on a Big Brother contestant by the end of it. <laughs> I mean, where do we begin with Sasha Churchich? I mean, what might okay? I suppose we have to frame it, don't we? That he was he burst onto the scene at Bolton Wanderers, which doesn't sound particularly sexy when you say it now. But he 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 was just skillful on on some dreadful pitches, and it seemed like every single week he was doing something, either creating or scoring. It was like the match of the day highlights yeah. man, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had charisma too, and in, and it was, yeah, uh, well, maybe this was the classic villa that we perhaps we saw all of the highlights, and Bolton were suspiciously quite happy for to have us take them take him off their hands after as, as, only one season. Mm. What do we want to say? I think that, that quickly he, I think both Villa and he regretted the move because uh, uh, he had a lifestyle. Is that the is that legally acceptable way? Of, <laughs> we we want to we want to broached that here that things just broke down this was a guy who was turning what was up his for, lifestyle well he, he turned up for work in, in a bus that he bought at Bodymore Heath so. <laughs> didn't somebody call him uh, <laughs> like the Serb George Best or something well, I don't know about that but I, I mean I, I, a, st- a quote sticks in my mind and we're, we were jumping around so I apologise to the listeners but when he when he did move to the MLS he stated that he wanted to, wanted to become the, the Dennis Rodman of the MLS <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> he did have the haircut. So, um, he, he was just—I <laughs> mean, he did everything. I mean, he when, when, when words he, words are failing you. Words fail. The thing is about Churchich was that there. I, I wrote. I had to look, Google Google a piece. I, I wrote probably one of the only researched pieces I ever did on the Villa Underground, and it was 2011. <laughs> and it stands up now. It stands up now, and it's it is almost like something that's. If it was scripted, you'd say, well, that's too far-fetched. Chop that out, you know. What was the gist of this article? He, he, he had a nose job. He <laughs> Come on, tell us more. <laughs> he, You know, he, he, he protested when we'd sold him to Palace. He protested on NATO attacks on his home city of Belgrade. You know, he did a, a vigil. He did a vigil at Downing Street. Yeah. This is I didn't I didn't know about this. He had yeah. the amazing haircut that Mark Draper decided to copy and I went yeah. really blonde, didn't I? Bleachy blonde, didn't he? You know, he got into huge, huge issues for politicising the game through uh, the FA and um, from from UEFA. He was defined by the, the New York Times as being talented but temperamental. That's an understatement. Yeah, the, I know um, the, the, the Times over here described him as one of the worst Premier League signings ever. You know, at the time he was on eleven grand a week. Mm-hmm. which was an astronomical amount for a player that was very much not at the top of his game. Um, he'd have probably been one of our highest earners. He was he was kind of only there to be like, you know, was, a bit of a buddy a for... for uh, yeah, he was a yeah. buddy for Savo, wasn't he? He was an absolute flop. I mean, 
Uh, he, he, some great, he's, he was good for a quote, though. So he was quoted yeah, in this. Have you got the quote that I'm thinking of well, well, to do with the women? Well, I was going to say, <laughs> he was quoted in the Spanish press as saying, I would not sign for another club, not even for $10 million. $15 million. $15 million. Now you might be mixing your 15s up. But if they offered me 15 women from all around the world, it would be different. I would satisfy them. Or like they'd never been satisfied before. I can't achieve an orgasm by looking at a teammate, but it would be different with Cindy Crawford. <laughs> That's the Guardian. Do we actually remember him doing anything on the field? I can't remember. Uh... He scored in the cup, didn't he? He scored one goal, I think, against Derby. Yeah, never scored in the league. I mean, I remember seeing him play, and he was—he had a couple of sort of all right games. You know, he carried the ball well, and he was good on the ball. But he was just. It was that thing of we're expecting the world and we're we're getting nowhere near that. You know, this is a side a side that had sort of Taylor, Townsend, Draper. You know, you had consistent good performers from the season before. Didn't when we went to uh, Bodymore and Ian Taylor was there and we were mm. we were chatting? Didn't he call him out on his training or something? Well, he, he didn't put any any bad attitude. I think was what the yeah because he's been he's been called out over the years in public. I mean, he's one of those players that they don't seem to care about throwing under the bus because actually what well, he was a bit of a... Well, he owned a bus, a party bus. Throw him under his own bus. <laughs> I mean, there was another strange thing that I saw that because he wasn't playing and this was at a time of um, pre... I'm not going to say pre-Schengen, but pre the ease that, that you could move across across the European states. That he, Villa, he was at risk of becoming ineligible to play because of the then employment laws. So yeah. so he, he just married someone, uh, a Birmingham-based... One of the 15 Birmingham women that we gave him to sign. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't and Cindy course, Crawford. It, it, <laughs> no, no. Right, anyway, I think we know where we're going with this one. Underrated or overrated? Some good quotes. I mean, uh, Listen, I mean, he, the, well, he retired at 30. I mean, I mean, we're talking about was he underrated in terms of his football career, his media career, because he went on to win Serbian Big Brother. And despite constant... Did he? Depre- he did. Despite being saying he was going to leave every day, which is probably like his football career, he actually won the show and fifty thousand euros with it. So, because he, he had a football academy like recently in uh, <laughs> L- London somewhere. Wow, wow! So I think he's still in this country. He didn't uh, completely beat it. Yeah, I'm just going to go overrated. We can only judge him in uh, the uh, the hemisphere of Villa. So I'm saying mm. overrated because uh, we thought he was going to be something uh, when he actually came to Villa at the time. He was like somebody who might give us a bit more dimension than Mark Draper, who actually... Uh, <laughs> it was actually quite good. <laughs> yeah, well, he was meant to be better than he was. But anyway, that's for another underrated, overrated. Yeah, like, like, like so many, it was the one good season and then he flopped. Overrated. Yeah. Sasa Churchic, the Serbian near Lamptey, overrated. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's close off the show uh, by discussing... Uh, what modern day calls the legend, but uh, we like to uh, have a more rational look and give them one of the categories of legend, hero, or cult favourite, uh, Mr. Juan Pablo Angel, somebody who had a mm. decidingly rocky start at Villa. Mm. He's he's somebody that uh, after the first season at Villa, the, f- the fans had so much sympathy for him that yeah. it was it was like they were on his side against the club because the club completely balls it up, yeah. being clueless really. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, when, when it when it came to integrating a player from, uh, I mean, thinking you're clever because you've got uh, one of uh, River Plates. Was mm. it three witches, four witches? Oh, well, Saviola was the. Uh, I mean, yeah. you know, Pablo Aymar as well, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Yeah, I think that they, they were called the three witches, but they were just devastating their front three. Mm. Well, and, and it, I mean, for those that don't know, that he was. I think I still think despite perhaps not rising to the heights that we'd wanted from from Juan Pablo I still think it was a coup to sign him um, yeah but we're talking about there's a story there isn't there uh in terms of his journey at Villa because at the start mm-hmm. he, he was on you know we we're almost thinking right he's he's just crap was getting rid of him but he was back in Argentina I mean he's obviously Colombian but when he was playing mm-hmm. for River River Plate he was uh, one of almost like mythical a mythical team Oh yeah, yeah. At a very young age as well, they they, they yeah. won major honours, and I'm pretty sure they won the Copa Libertadores, which is the uh, South American equivalent of the Champions League. In those Copa games, I think he scored like 16 in 25 games. He must scored like goal a game, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we were talking earlier on about the lack of atmosphere in stadiums. I mean, it couldn't be more the polar opposite that you are, you know, revered as a godlike figure. You know, even now you look at some of the River Platte articles from, from back then and it was like, you know, it was like genuinely them losing a son when, when they when he left. Yeah, I mean, I've seen pictures of like their fans with like, you know, angel wings and all that kind mm-hmm. of uh, stuff. And, you know, those, uh, as, as you say, there's articles on those three players and it's, uh, he is part of the mythology there, mm-hmm. even though... Uh, he did actually play many more games for Aston Villa in the end, but he scored more goals for them. <laughs> I mean, uh, we could talk all 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 night about Juan Pablo. Initially, it was it was the dreadful way that he was. I don't even know what you even call it. That he was just not supported in any way in in his arrival um, in, in the UK. His wife was was I mean near near death really when uh, and shortly after giving birth and um but by his own admission you know he was he was very isolated couldn't speak the language facing the prospect of you know you, you can't imagine what, what might be going through one's mind when if that was unfolding around you and yeah. the club the club were very very slow I mean later acknowledging their shortfalls and I think that that's what prompted I think there was a very good translator put in place that uh, Angel attributed to I think him I don't know re- resurrecting his Villa career to some extent, but actually yeah. use it to take your word to integrating into into British life and um, and and Villa culture I suppose to to a degree. But I I, I can always remember growing up and, and look and watching him that I, I thought that that you saw the transformation in in Angel where that first few months where he was with us he he looked like someone who wasn't getting any sleep he he, he looked withdrawn he looked like football was the last thing on his mind and I think if yeah, his positioning was all. He just didn't have any mojo. Well, he was he? he was mentally shot, wasn't he? Um, you know, he'd been brought in as the marquee player, paraded, and and his life had, was falling apart in those initial days and weeks, at a time when Aston Villa desperately needed uh, an, an iconic striker. Um, my other recollection would be is that when when he did start to. You know, he scored his first goal against Coventry City to, to pretty much relegate them. And I remember the whole tent, you know, there was a pretty much a pitch invasion because, as you said at the outset, that he'd become that message and that understanding of what he'd gone through yeah. was, had reached the terraces. And I think from there on, Angel, Angel never hit the heights, I don't think. You know, there were always those little rumours for a period that Chelsea were interested in him because he was technically excellent. I think he lacked pace. You, I kind of lack players around him uh, and sometimes. Absolutely <laughs> did not have very many. There was no one in the supporting cast that if you come from a trio of Saviola and Amar, and I'm sure that if you look at that list, <laughs> I'm sure if you look at that list, there'll be other players that move to Europe. 
um, and then you find yourself playing with. <laughs> dare I? Dare I do the role of shame? I, I don't want to throw people under no, uh, Lee Hendry. Um, <laughs> I don't want to throw them under Churchich's bus. But in my lifetime, uh, not many Villa strikers have got over twenty goals in all competitions, no. and he, man- he managed to get that. Mm. And that's when you, you you thought happy days, hallelujah. You know, after all that adversity, he's kind of made it. Well, he was a likable figure, and and I, I he did come across as genuine and. I think he he suffered as much you you rightly said for the, for the lack of supporting cast around him at a time when Villa were you know he was one of the I think he left it almost as soon as Martin O'Neill arrived yeah. um, and without without wanting to talk up O'Neill's era too much that I th- I do wonder what would have happened if Angela come two or three years later that with with better players and with better buying around him you know those final Ellis years were stagnant they were there was no investment there was no money to invest you know Ellis Ellis found himself owning a football club when he when he didn't have the pockets to yeah, but I think Engel was almost like his last roll of the dice mm. because he, he came in like two thousand one, and you'd you'd seen by Villa's performance at Wembley against Chelsea in the two thousand FA Cup that we needed some sparkle or something, and this was what we were hoping for. But you know, as 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 we just alluded to, he didn't really have a supporting cast to you know really maximise uh, what he could have done. He was one of my. And still, it's probably one of my favourite players that I've seen down there. And we, it took so fucking long to replace Dwight York with a genuine like yeah. for like. You know, Dublin was a good player, but Angel had X factor, and it was as Dan said. You know, that period when he first arrived in that sort of second half of the season, he obviously found it very difficult. And then he got the goal against Coventry, and you could just see the weight lifting off his shoulders. And then the, the <laughs> season after, he was unbelievable. When he scored that goal against Chelsea, that was like mm. when the rub, when your rubber stamped him. Yeah, in, well, that in was the, the League yeah, Cup game. Yeah, he had I think about five seasons at Villa. It was something like that. But he he had two seasons when he was just on, and it was his second season at Villa. And then the first year under um, O'Leary, when we we probably should have got top four and faded in the last few weeks of the season, but. That season he was just banging him in, and he was one of those genuine proper goal scorers. No, he was brilliant in the air for a, you know, he wasn't a huge yeah. guy, incredible in the air, had a great shot on him. If you yeah, put him in front of the goal, yeah, if you put him in front yeah. of the goal, you fancied him to score. This is Alice Band. Is yeah. Alice Band. <laughs> Very sort of tricky. I suppose he's almost like you know, a classic South American player. He's everything you'd expect of him to be. But that goal against that goal against Chelsea, when he put that in, I thought I thought, oh, he's better than I thought. Mm-hmm. And that was against didn't he um he put a, a young John Terry on his backside, didn't he? Yeah, that night. and there was and obviously he was, he was miles out when he pinged that. Yeah, because that was um because that, that was the quarter final, wasn't it? And then he went to Bolton in the semi final and scored that ridiculous goal from the, the oh that, the that was a line, classic, which was just unbelievable. The looper yeah. <laughs> came went went out into orbit first. It reminded then... me of that Saunders goal <laughs> at Villa Park. Yeah. yeah, was that against Ipswich? Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, and that was on the touchline. I mean, I remember going that to that game that night. Mm-hmm. It was just it was like two individual performances from either side just dominate the game. Yeah, they had JJ Kutcher and we had Juan Pablo. <laughs> that goal deserved better than deserved to be a winning goal, or at least on the winning team. Yeah, and I remember him scoring a worldie at the whole end. I think it was against Bolton where it, the ball got laid back to him. And he and, placed it. And he just passed it into the top corner. Mm. It was unbelievable. It was one of those ones where you, you see it go in, you go, yeah, good goal. Then you see the replay. It's like, oh, fuck, he's, he's literally side-footed it in from about yeah, 25 like he's yards. he's in his house slippers. Yeah. He just passed it in the top <laughs> corner. It was an unbelievable goal. He scored a hat, did he score a hat-trick against the Wolves? Yes, he did. And... Yeah, a hat-trick or was it, did he score two? 
No, it was a hat trick at, at the Molyneux. I was there. Yeah, I remember uh, the last one because he scored, <laughs> didn't he, with the outside of his right foot? Well, that yeah. was that was one where he got put through, and and I, I suppose what we're sort of doing is is underlying his technical ability that when he was on form and we're, we're basically masturbating over Engel <laughs> at Fine. the moment. That's been the last. That's been the last two or three minutes. <laughs> We're talking about him like he lifted the European Cup with Villa, aren't we? Yeah. And I'm just, I'm, I was just about to, to, uh, I'm going to do it anyway. It was a, it was a, it was a great hat trick at, at the Molyneux and it was topped off by a through ball where he had a full run on goal. But the third, the third goal for his hat trick, he's quite a way out when he side foots it past the goalkeeper. It's such a casual. And then, mm. uh, for those who, who remember it, that he wheeled away and the, the away following had that entire lower, lower tier. Yeah, of the side, the stand that's side on it's at the Steve moment. Ball stand, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, I just thought that was a great, a great moment, really. Um, he was phenomenal that season. That's why I remember that hat trick for sure, because um, mm. it was that era when Dublin has kind of come to the end of his Villa time. I think he was starting to play centre back then, but Vassell had come through, and they actually had quite a good partnership at times. But you almost mm. wish he'd have had a genuine partner because Merson was there for a while of his Villa career, but by yeah. that point he was troubled. Yeah, he was troubled, and then he kind of left. And you think if he'd have had Merson on peak form, or if he had Vassell, how he used to play for England. Yeah, I was going to say Vass- yeah. Vassell had all of the pace and none of the technical ability. But he was fucking good for England. Yeah, yeah he would do overhead kicks for England <laughs> on his debut. <laughs> it was just, it was a real shame. Think, who who really the fuck's with, this um, with Angela? I remember it kind watching of just, that. Fucking it all just sort of petered out, and then when he left, it was like, well, yeah, he's probably got to go, really. And it was. It was a real sort of damp squib of an ending, really. You kind of wanted him to go out. He, he didn't peak, did he? No, and you, you almost deserve to have that moment where you think, like, like a lot of Villa fans say about like a Grealish or Barry or Milner, mm. you think, yeah, they're going to go and get a bigger, better deal. And he, his, his career never really topped it then. No, he went to the MSL and that was it, wasn't it? Yeah, he well, was I think he York. ended his career with his boyhood club. Was it, is it National? Yeah, he I went back. And obviously, he came back to Villa Park, didn't he? Last Was it last season or this season? He was, he was paraded at half-time, wasn't he? Mm. and got a brilliant reception. He did both coasts. He did New York Red Bulls and uh, LA Galaxy, uh, I think Shiverous as well, while they were still in existence. Mm. But uh, but he did, just one final thing, there's, there's a mark of a great goal scorer, like your main man scorer is, even when you're getting beaten, like if you get beat 3-1, if your top goal scorer is getting that goal, and he used, you know, he got to the stage where he did that for a season or two, win, lose a draw, he was always scoring. Yeah. Yeah, his tally of getting over twenty was always going up. It's almost like you get beat, but as long as he scores, at least you get something from that game because you always want him to get over twenty goals. Yeah, and I think just to underline that, that point, I, I would agree with that. And he's he's one of very few strikers who we've had in probably twenty years now. That and then I would include the current squad in this is that through that type of goal scoring it it stops those one nils being defeats they become one ones and those one ones become two one wins often and yeah. and that was where angel he could score a goal out of nothing not in a benteki type way you know um, he wasn't you know nearly physical or anything like that but he had yeah. he had the technical ability to get that goal that yeah i dare say more often than not he was the three ones but but I think the better the play around him, the better mm. he became. Yeah, he ne- he needed service. He wasn't like a Benteke where he. He's would... not going to be chasing hopeless nah, causes, nah, is nah, he? Nah. No, and he wasn't. He wasn't the. Although he was a class player, he wasn't going to win you a game on his own. He'd give you a chance if you put it in the six yard box. He'd always be there, and nine times out of ten, he'd put it away. But he'd if you didn't give him service, he wasn't going to nah, like you nah. know like, like someone like a you know an Abraham in the championship where. 
he'd just chase everything and he'd, he'd know he'd knew he'd always get a chance. Yeah. Villa at that point, especially you know in the latter years under O'Leary, where the team had become so stagnant, it was just he was feeding on scraps. Mm-hmm. Right, let's uh, round this off. What what would you what tag would you give him? Legend, hero, or cult favorite? I'd go hero. Yeah, I, I would lift him above uh, just a cult favorite because he did. It was that as as I said, it was it was a journey with him. It was like uh, a story with him where after a poor start, he got the crowd on his side. They were willing him because of what had happened and mm. they'd actually taken his side against the club uh, and uh, they got they got their reward so yeah I, I would say hero and you know not many Villa players strikers get over 20 goals in a season so uh, let's go for that yeah I'd, I'd call him I'd list him as a hero too because I think calling him I mean, he's not a legend he, he didn't win he didn't win any trophies uh, yeah. or, or, or whatnot and I think to, to call him a cult favourite would be yeah would, would lower him somewhat um the backstory, the the some of the great goals, some of the great memories, and 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 both ends of the spectrum really. Um, my my only uh, regret would be that he he didn't go on to win anything with Villa or or in my, looking at looking at some of his uh, colleagues from from River Plate and what they went on to achieve in their careers. Yeah. Uh, feel a bit sorry that he he didn't do the same. You feel a bit sorry that he came to Villa. <laughs> I think he, he came to Villa at the wrong time. I think in a Ron Atkinson team, even in that Martin O'Neill team, as we alluded. But well, that's just bet on the basic equation. If we had a twenty goal striker, we would have uh, got into Europe. But anyway, let's uh, let's get out of here. We have been chatting uh, probably twice as long as we expected. Uh, but uh, what else is there to do uh, at the moment? Uh, but the shops will be opening soon. Speaking of shops, actually, uh, do check out the My Old Man Said shop for uh, the best deals on uh, shirts, etc. And also, uh, if uh, finally I get some samples through them, there may be some extra merch options for you to uh, help support the show. And uh, speaking of supporting the show, please do uh, retweet and uh, share it. Uh, we don't, we're not uh, brown nosing anybody else in this Villaverse. We are. Uh, on our own against the world so please do uh, maybe i should do something like uh, a competition for a mug if you uh, retweet and like the uh, the first tweet maybe i'll put a little mug emoji on the uh, the tweet so you'll know which one it is so just like that and retweet and then uh, i'll pick one randomly and send a mug your way don't consider it a bribe just consider it a thank you right let's get out of here until uh, next time uh, please do uh, follow on spotify apple leave us a apple review if you can that's much appreciated and uh, as i said uh, share share a go-go right until next time it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them goodbye away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.